Welcome to United Against Silence. I'm Seema Reza, the CEO of Community Building Artworks, a nonprofit organization that connects veterans, healthcare workers, and civilians through workshops led by the artists of our time. Each week, we interview an artist to find out about their process and how they've overcome silence in their lives. Matthew Olsman is the author of Constellation Root, as well as two previous collections of poetry, Mezzanines and Contradictions in the Design. A recipient of fellowships from Kundiman McDowell and the National Endowment for the Arts, Olsman's poems have appeared in the New York Times, Best American Poetry, the Pushcart Prizes, Kenyon Review, and elsewhere. He's a senior lecturer of creative writing at Dartmouth College and also teaches in the MFA program for writers at Warren Wilson College. Matthew, thank you so much for being here. Um, such a huge fan of your work for a very, very long time. And I have like a lot of questions for you. Um, I, you know, in, re in reading Constellation, route or root, how do you say it? Yes. <laughs> fine with me. I, I love words like that, that we're like, any way you say it is, you know, there's like all these ways that you can say it and everyone understands you. Um, but in reading it, I was thinking often of like, I, their images are so familiar, but arranged in a new way, right? Like that's, that's so much of your work is like this surrealism of, of things arranged next to each other in a new way. Um, and I remember as maybe like, maybe I was a teenager when I heard that everything that you dream is something that you've seen, just like an amalgamation of things that you've seen before. Um, and I don't know if that's true, like the, that you don't invent anything fully in a dream um, and any image fully in a dream. And it, it feels that way so often when I'm reading your work where it's like, I'm turning a corner and there's something surprising, but I've, it, but familiar at the same time. Um, and so I wondered, I wanted to just ask about your dreams. What are they like? <laughs> um, it's, it's funny, you gave me a new way of thinking about them. That It's uh, things, everything you've seen, but just rearranged differently. Um, I don't remember my dreams very often. It's only a few, uh, um, and if I do, they fade very quickly. Um, there's only a handful of, the, of times where every once in a while, I guess if I wake up in the middle of one, but they are... Uh, they're very, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very distracted person. And you, I think you would see that in the way they sort of just leap around. So, um, if I would try to, if I try to describe, were to try to describe one in a linear fashion, it's they're moving through time and memory pretty fast. And then one situation blurs into another. And then um, it's a, uh, kind of like improv comedy you think you're in <laughs> and then it's something else so <laughs> that's awesome um and I wondered too about there so I read this um the in the writers recommend a column mm -hmm. where you recommended that everybody watch um, that's fun this is final tap um and then there's a line in it where you say unless you're the type of person that says, wow, I just really love sitting alone at a desk, um, that then writing isn't, you know, like rewarding in its own way. And I thought again, like I wouldn't have ever said that about myself, but yes, yes, I do. Um, and 
I, I just wondered about the conditions for your desk. Like what, like, how do you sit down to your desk? Are you? Yeah. I, I think that I was, I was mostly thinking just about how the process has to be sort of its own reward. And then my desk is kind of like a metaphor. It could be sort of any, any place where you sit, uh, where I sit down and write. Sometimes it's at the kitchen table. Sometimes it's in this room. Uh, sometimes it's at my office at school, but, um, and, um, and that's, that's kind of the writer's existence though. Um, spending, spending short or long hours just alone writing something, then looking off into space and crossing it out or deleting it. And, um, I think, and I think what I was, what I was thinking about in that poets and writers, writers recommend thing is the idea of fun. Like for me, that's sort of fun when I'm in it. And I think a lot of times we, uh, we sort of lose track of that, uh, writing something brought us into writing because we enjoy it. We sort of mythologize the, the sort of struggling, suffering, brooding artist. Uh -huh. and, but the, but the reality is there's something about the, about doing this that we love. And, uh, and so that, that recommendation was, was kind of about tracking the part of your art that you, that you enjoy or that drew you to it in the first place. Yeah, sort of separate from from product, which I think too, like when you are doing something professionally, um, you have to boundary the joy, the, the personal part of it um, so that you're not caught up in that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a lot of things in the in the poetry world, which, you know, can it, all of it can be interesting, but there's a lot of things that are poetry related that are not actually the making or the reading of poems, like just getting caught up on um, rejection letters or who's getting what or uh, or who or what the latest controversy is that's swirling around on the Internet. And um, all of those end up taking massive amounts of brain cells and time where you could just be doing this thing that you ostensibly like doing and, uh, and moving forward with it. So. Um, and, you know, so this podcast is called United Against Silence and the collective of artists that, that teach for us um, is the United Against Silence collective. And, you know, the idea of against silence came from this idea of the way that silences often choke us, right? the way that there are these imposed silences. Um, but what you're, you know, sort of getting at a little bit is this silence that we need. There is so much noise um, that can take up our brain space. How do you, like, how do you do that? How do you create your silence? How do you find <laughs> time? I, I'm not always able to. That's sort of the thing we try to aim for, but I, it's not, I, I don't have some sort of, Magic you practice that where I'm able to suddenly just tune everything out and and have like some sort of oneness or you know with with the writing in front of me uh, um I mean there's I'm not immune to all the things that are flying around and uh um things that you need to do in your own life like dishes need to be done you know, laundry needs to get done um you we have we have jobs and, you know, and they're emailing at the, you know, at this very moment. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm not, um, it's, it's sort of something more to, to try to aim for rather than something I actually am able to 
right right hit but um what are you excited about these days is there anything small the nba playoffs is uh, starts i think next week right so that'll be um i don't i don't know about you but i'm i'm a big basketball fan so i like being able to watch it every every night for the next couple months no i'm not i am i have a hard time keeping the like the rules and the scoring in order it's, my brain's not organized that way but so you follow it you've been following it oh yeah um and uh yeah i i mean i'm i'm originally from detroit so my team the detroit pistons is very bad but it looks like they're starting to turn a corner and could be you know they've got some good uh young pieces and i'm also uh i also am a milwaukee bucks fan uh uh tangentially and um (laughs) and and just i mean I think, I mean, everything ends up coming back to poetry though, for me, because like, like, um, I'm in a fantasy basketball league with a bunch of writers from around. And, uh, and so we, we have uh, a group chat where we're, we're at most nights, someone will be on there talking about hoops or something. And, um, and also like, think, I think when I, I teach, I end up coming up with a lot of basketball metaphors because of it. And then I look out at, uh, the group that I'm teaching and, they uh usually only two of them are like yeah I understood that Matthew so I have to kind of think how to how to approach that that's super yeah I mean I think like one of the things that's hard for me um is how quickly it moves like I like baseball because it's so boring and it's (laughs) like there's space for me to just you know watch what's happening with basketball I feel like my brain isn't um arranged that way did you play basketball when you were a kid yeah very badly um so I I I used to think I wanted to be a basketball player but then I entered high school at like I was like four foot nine or four foot ten and weighed like 80 pounds so and I um I I know some people are able to make up for the lack of uh the lack of size by just being really talented but I didn't have that either so um (laughs) And then you can make up for that maybe by just outworking everyone. And I wasn't really into that either. So <laughs> it was none of the, none of the blessings, but, um, but, but a natural fan, the natural fan. Yeah. That's exactly. wonderful. I like um, too. I, I like going, I think I like going to baseball games. It's really an excuse to sit outside in a park in the summer. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these, like the rituals around it. I really, I really enjoy. So I we're I'm in Maryland. And so the Orioles are, are really quite bad as well, but our park is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you go to like minor league games, sometimes those seventh inning stretch, like shows are, I once saw one where there was a, a dog with a monkey riding on its back that went around the, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. That that tracks. Minor league baseball is the best. I mean, you can go and there'll be, um, and my friend and I went to a Manchester Fisher Cats game re- uh, uh, last summer, and uh, and it was it was both like Star Wars night and Human Cannonball night. So like they had everyone dressed up as Star Wars uh, characters, and then they shot someone out of a cannon in, in like the seventh inning or something like that. So someone as a character was shot out of a cannon, or. No, it wasn't. They, they, they were like parallel. things happening at the same time. It wasn't they were shooting Star Wars characters out of a game. <laughs> that would have been that would have been better though. So. That's the next level. Yeah, know, let's put that idea out into the world. I think minor league baseball is just like 
they have the best team names. Like there's the Rocket City Trash Pandas or the Akron Rubber Rubber Ducks or sort of thing. And uh um these these feel like names that uh would not get approved at the major league level, you know, to have to be focus grouped by seven, you know, seven different uh <laughs> right, right, right. At that level, like nobody's really paying attention. You can just do whatever. Um, there's this thing that I see in your work a lot where there are our job. So we we learned from um the commencement speech to the elevator technicians last week in our writing workshop, and many of those folks will be here tonight. Um, and there is, there's like this this deep expression of work in your writing often. Um, have you had a lot of other jobs? Like, or do you, do you study? I've, <laughs> I've had, uh, I've worked as a, uh, like a bagger at a grocery store, just bagging groceries and then a cashier. And then I worked at a grocery store for like three years. So I had several jobs there as the person that went out and collected all the grocery carts and person who stored the bottle returns and the person who um uh you know swept the floors after the store was closed and then uh, I worked as a concessionist you know shoveling popcorn in a movie theater and then an usher in a theater um I was a medical courier for a little while um which is just driving around like bags of blood and taking them to the airport to be sent to Mayo or some other laboratory um I was a uh, um a headhunter or a recruit for a recruiting firm okay. that specialized in recruiting uh, accountants for uh, Fortune 500 companies. It was really a glorified telemarketing job. I mostly left a hundred voicemails per day on uh, d- at different accounting firms. I was also uh, worked for maybe ten years with an Inside Out Literary Arts project as a writer in residence. They had a, a kind of like a writers in the schools type of program mm-hmm. in Detroit. And after that, it was just teaching as an adjunct and then teaching at the college level so if there was one job like one completely unwriting related job that you could and it can't be basketball <laughs> what's one job that you'd be like yeah oh, i'd do that you, for a day anticipating where this was going so one job like any yeah, job just for one day um and i would like be good at it for a day um like yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You'd be like, you'd be like, not the best. You wouldn't be, <laughs> I'm not throwing it around like that, but you'd be like, you'd be competent, you know? I think astronaut would be interesting. Um, just, but uh, that's why I said, would, would I be good at it? Because I want to be the person who says astronaut and that's like, okay, Matthew like goes and crashes the shuttle or something, but. I have no power, so <laughs> it's not going to happen. But astronauts, yeah, that's a, that's a big swing. It was the thing that came to mind, but um I, I don't know a less uh, I, th- I think a really sort of fascinating job that I don't re- I don't really know what it's called but um, you know those the lights at the top of like cell phone towers and, and or like at the top of like really tall buildings yeah. that looks like a terrifying job I don't know if I would want to do it but uh, but but uh, but it's kind of fascinating to me to see you know just know that someone has to go up go up there and occasionally change work on those things change the bulb like that's your job and you could be good at that <laughs> i don't know a, a light bulb burns burns out in our house and like and uh and i'm uh and and our and that seems to be kind of enough of a chore let alone one that's you know 100 
100 or 150 feet above the earth or something. Well, they'd give you the materials, though. I feel like the light bulb in the house, the main thing is like getting another light bulb. That's what holds <laughs> me back. Right. To give you a truck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what are you what are you reading right now? I am mostly reading poems by my students. I'm teaching an intermediate and an intro class and then uh, um, an intro to poetry workshop and uh, an intermediate poetry workshop uh, here at Dartmouth. And um, and then I was. uh, um, So that's that's kind of during the semester, I feel like that ends up being my focus. But of course, I'm reading the poems that I'm sharing with them in class and we've been reading things like um, uh, uh, Kava Akbar, Jessica Jacobs. Um, we have, uh, in my intro class, we're using an anthology, uh, a textbook, an anthology by Todd Kaneko and Amora Kiwi. Um, we've read poems by Lucille Clifton and Lee Young Lee and um, Yusuf Kumanyaka and Ilya Kaminsky and I, I brought in one of uh, um, my partner, Vivi Francis. I brought in one of one of her poems today to one of the classes, and she also teaches there. And uh, um, I just brought that in because I think it'd be like it's going to be good for them to know who she is, and um, since they might take her classes later. So um, I mean, so I'm not. It's not just student student work. Uh, those are some other poets whose work right, in person, but it's often often has to do with what what we're teaching or what the class is reading and that. Um, so, and then in the summer in the, in the summer is when I'll get, when I, when I'll get to dive into some, some other things more. Into your stack, right? That you've been collecting sort of, um, one of the things I love so much about teaching poems that I'm really familiar with and love in different settings or to different groups of people, even if the, you know, like I've taught in a lot of military hospitals and so we'll it's the same setting, but it's a different group of people, is how we, how, how the poem changes, right? Like you don't know how the room is gonna react to this poem. There's so often some brand new like take on it mm-hmm. um, that I don't know, for me as a writer, it reminds me of how little control I have once mm-hmm. it's, it's out, like how little say I have in what um, what someone receives from a poem, um, mm-hmm. does that have an impact on your work at all? That the idea that you don't really know how someone's going to react to it, or that no, to, like that everyone's going to have their own. Yeah, um, I don't know if I, 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 I mean, I, I don't know if it has an impact on how I approach the work, um, but I, I definitely do kind of feel that sort of sense of of uh, there's a of like this massive uncertainty and uh, and I, I I do think it's kind of strange and mysterious and exciting how a poem can uh, go out and develop what uh, I think it's Jonathan Farmer referred to as its own social life. They go out. <laughs> and they- they're like they make their own like when you send a poem into the world that to me it feels a little bit like that idea of being on a desert island and you shove a message in a bottle and you throw it in the ocean and you have no idea where it's going to land or if it's going to say or if it's where or when if it's and um or who's going to find it but when but somehow um but then you start finding your poems um in the sort of most unusual 
unusual place or unexpected places. Like I had someone write, one person wrote to me and asked if they could use a poem in an art installation and it ended up getting projected onto um, the Rockefeller Center in New York, in New York City. It was like part of an anti-gun violence uh, uh, installation by an artist. And then another person asked if they could use it in their high school forensics club. And I mean, no, neither of those are things you're thinking about when you're writing a poem or things that I think I would have ever imagined, like, oh, this is where this poem will end up. But it, um, so um, in some ways it's kind of, it's a little scary and kind of thrilling and, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if it ever sort of enters my mind when I'm writing because I wouldn't have been able to necessarily imagine those kinds of those two things. So yeah, you don't set out with the Rockefeller Center <laughs> as you're like. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a few lines of the poem as part of a larger thing that was like scrolling up the side of the building, and um, and um, yeah, that, that's not something that you you think, oh, maybe this is that's an idea for this poem, poem for the where this poem will end up, and but but who knows. Yeah, it's super freeing too, right? Like to not have to not have to think about that, and you just stuff it in the bottle right. and send it away and start your next. Yeah, although I'm most I'm trying to think like do I think of, if I think of where a poem is going to go, I sort of I kind of know that most most of my poems, if I get to a point where I'm sort of excited about it, I'll probably read it to Vivi, and uh, and so like there are times where I'm thinking like, I wonder what Vivi will think about this one or something like that, and then I and then I rush rush over to show it to her and she's like I was sleeping <laughs> <laughs> and uh um but yeah so she's often my my first reader and maybe the uh, first audience conception of audience that I might be imagining then but um but you know sometimes it's a different people but mostly I think I'm uh I know I'm aware of that an audience of one person like one right. person well, for <laughs> sure will be woken with this poem and have to hear it have I, maybe not even be reading it but we'll have this poem read to them so <laughs> that's beautiful um super excited for your workshop thank you for being here and being being part of this um yeah we've been just like electrified by your work in work I mean since since Walter Reed when I was there teaching your work has always um allowed people to open in a new door into themselves. Um, so we're really, really excited for tonight. And um, yeah, yeah, to, con to keep reading what you put out. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to United Against Silence. I'm Seema Reza, and I hope we see you at a workshop soon. You can see our full schedule at www. C-B-A-W dot O-R-G. We're looking forward to being in community with you.